Well, good morning, Bay Chapel. It is so good to see you, man. What an awesome time in worship this morning. Amen. Amen. Woo, that worship team. I'm grateful. So grateful. Hey, we just want to again say welcome. If it's your first time or first time in a long time, we're so glad you're in the room. And I believe that God is going to speak to us, encourage us. And I feel like it's a little brighter than usual here right now, which is so cool. I can see you. I can see when you're not paying attention, when you're napping. It's, it's going to be fun today. I'm, I'm so excited to dive into God's Word. And I, don't, I know we all walk in with different situations in our lives, some carrying heavy burdens, some today walking in the joy of the Lord. And I don't know where you're at or what you're going through, but I know that His Word is so life-changing to us. And so I just pray right now, would you just open your heart to what God wants to say to you today? how he wants to encourage you. Maybe take a second and pray for the person that's on your left and right. And maybe it's not you, but God needs to work in their life. Uh, and, and who knows today what you're walking through, but I believe that his word will be powerful as we lean in. We're, uh, we're diving into week two of this series, Seven Days. Y'all, Bria did an incredible job kicking us off last weekend. She always does. She always does. I loved it. And we, we looked at Palm Sunday. We're looking at the seven days leading up to Easter. And here we are four weeks out, Easter, March 31st this year, a little early. And so we're excited as we lean into this season. And so we looked at week one, Palm Sunday. And she said it just a few minutes ago, but we talked about worship. And we made that declaration that there ain't going to be no rock that's going to cry in our place. And we're going to worship God. <laughs> No other reason because he's worthy, but honestly, worship just works, man. Worship changes situations in our life. <laughs> and so uh, we're going to continue, and we're going to look at this Monday as Jesus makes his way into the temple. And it goes from a scene where he's being worshipped and, and glorified, and they're shouting Hosanna, to really, it's a little bit of a chaotic scene, and I think oftentimes when you read this passage of Scripture, it can feel a little confusing on the surface, but I believe as we dive in this morning, uh, we'll understand what Jesus is trying to accomplish and, and how it can speak to our life, because this is a day, and I've titled this message, Cleaning House. Monday is Cleaning House Day, and Jesus is about to go into the temple. And so we're going to look at Mark 11 together. If you've got your um, Church Center app, you can open that. If you want to follow along on the screens, you can do that as well. Mark chapter 11, verse 15, if you're ready, say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It says, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Jesus went to the temple, and he began to drive out all those who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the stools of those who sold pigeons. And he would not let anyone carry anything through the temple courtyards. He then taught the people, it is written in the scriptures that God said, my temple will be called a house of prayer for the people of all nations. But you have turned it into a hideout for thieves. Another uh, translation says, a den of robbers. It goes on, it says here, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard of this, so they began looking for some ways to kill Jesus. 
They were afraid of him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples left the city. I'd have left the city too after they made the disruption they made. Jesus walks into the temple. He doesn't like what he sees because people are misusing uh, the, the temple and what it was designed for. And he stops the traffic, everybody. He, he said, time out. We're not going to do this anymore. And he does it in such a uh, loud and boisterous way that it almost doesn't even resemble sometimes the character and meekness of Jesus. And it can, as you read this passage, kind of scratch your head thinking, what is he trying to accomplish here? And as I started thinking about Jesus and the way he stopped the traffic, it kind of took me back to my childhood. I, and I'm going to take you back to your childhood as well, everybody. It was probably one of my favorite years of elementary school. It was fifth grade. Come on, do you remember your fifth grade year? It's such a great year. It's back when life was so much more simple. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean we didn't have a lot of technology. Just life, life was easy. In fifth grade, you're kind of king of the hill. You know, everybody's younger than you in, in school. And I remember fifth grade. It was great because I was invited to be a safety patrol. Come on, where are my safety patrols at? Where are you at? Awesome. We got new parking team volunteers right there. Beautiful. I think 25 of you. Awesome. Oh, come on. Being a safety patrol. You were big stuff when you were a safety patrol. I remember all the benefits you got as a safety patrol. One, you got out of class early. That was enough reason to sign up. I mean, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'm a safety patrol. But then the best thing about it was you got early access to the Polar Cup man. Oh, come on. Do you remember the Polar Cup guy? Nobody had a Polar Cup guy? Oh, my word. Do you remember the ice cream truck guy? I, I mean, come on. This was, this was before Uber Eats, everybody. They came to you in that scary white van with the little jingle. And I remember, you know, you, you, you get out of class early. You get your Polar Cup. And then you go stand at the corner with your orange belt. And when you wore that orange belt, you, oh my goodness, you got to tell everybody what to do. You got to stop the traffic. I mean, shut them down. You got to whistle. You got to move your hand. I mean, you just felt so cool when you were a safety patrol. And you know what I see in this picture is Jesus shows up on the scene and he stops the traffic. And he says, you know what, we're not going to move in and out of this place like we've been doing for a long time. He sees there's something wrong happening in the temple. And, and I think it's important that we understand a little bit of context as to why Jesus is upset in this moment. So I'm going to bring some application, but I think it's, it's important that we understand why he feels the need to turn the tables over. It's the week of Passover, everybody. And there's thousands upon thousands of Jews that are coming in from all over. Different areas, regions, different countries. And they're bringing their currency with them. And they're going to the temple because, number one, they had to pay the temple tax. But they couldn't do it because oftentimes they're bringing coins and, and, and bills that had a different leader, ruler, false god on them. And so they were required to exchange their currency before they would pay the tax. But not only that, they came to bring their sacrifice to God. 
And so they had the option. You say, why, why, why the pigeons? Well, they could, they could have brought their pigeon and their goat, but it's hard enough to travel with young kids. So, so they decided, you know, we're not going to bring our own sacrifice with us. We'll get to the temple and we'll pay for our sacrifice right there at the temple. And when this began, this process happened out at the Mount of Olives. So it was away from the temple. But over time, they began to move things inside. Actually, there's a picture of what the temple looked like right there. I think you got it for me, guys. So there's the actual temple you can see in the middle. And then there's the court of the Gentiles. This is where anybody who wasn't Jewish, that they would worship and pray. And this is where this scene takes place, right here in the court of the Gentiles. But instead of being a place of a prayer and a place of worship, it turned into an animal market. It turned into a place where business was done and, and obviously they're taking advantage of people right here in this place and they're charging, it, and you know, like you go to 7-Eleven and you buy water for a dollar, dollar fifty, that same bottle of water at Disney World, y'all. A little bit more money. And so the things that were to cost a normal price somewhere else, they're, they're price gouging here, and Jesus isn't happy with it. And I think about just the transition from Sunday to Monday. And I, I consider the reason that Jesus was so upset. Because on Sunday, you have this scene where everybody, they're, they're worshiping, they're shouting Hosanna, kind of like we did this morning. But you get to Monday, and it's business as usual. In a place that was designed for worship and praise and honor of God, all they can think about are their possessions and their money, their stuff. And I think what Jesus is saying, it's a warning to us, is that if all our worship is good for is a Sunday morning experience, we've missed what relationship with God is supposed to be. If, if we allow the world to crowd out God Monday through Saturday, then Sunday doesn't do a whole lot of good. Everybody, we got to make sure that we understand and recognize we're the temple of the Holy Spirit and everywhere we go, he's going with us. Let's not let the world crowd out what God is doing and wants to do Monday through Saturday. And I think so often we let the world crowd out God working in us. And in a couple of ways it happens. Number one, it's an unhealthy pace. It's an unhealthy pace. We wake up first thing in the morning. We immediately go to the phone. What's going on? What notifications? What do I need to take care of? Who's emailed me? Who, who's sent me a direct message? What do I need to follow up on? And, and before we can go to God, the world has come to us. We, we've got life so mixed up and what really is important, it's because the unhealthy pace of our life. Psalm 23, I, I love what David says. He talks about this beautiful picture of walking with God and he leads me beside still waters and he, he restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness. But I think the foundation of Psalm 23 is the first verse. He says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know what he's saying here? is that the key to peace in my life is making sure that Jesus is Lord of it all. He, he's saying this, it is, if I get so focused on the world and what I gotta do this week and what I gotta take care of and what's wrong in my life and forget that Jesus is Lord of all, then I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get stressed out. I'm gonna get overwhelmed by life's circumstances. Why don't, why don't we make a decision this week, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm gonna trust him with my life. I'm gonna trust him with my spouse. 
I'm going to trust him with my kids, trust him with the cares of my life. I think the second thing that crowds out God is unhealthy passion. It's unhealthy passion. You see these people in the temple and they're doing business and they're missing out on the good things of God. They're missing out on what the temple had been designed for, for worship. And I think so often we live in this, this tension, I know I do, of trying to pursue Jesus but find happiness and pleasure that the world brings. Have you been there before? Where you want God so much, but you'd like a little bit of the world too? I heard one pastor describe it as trying to brush your teeth while you're eating Oreos. It's impossible, <laughs> right? You just can't do it. Like, you, you, can't, you can't have the world and God too. You gotta make a decision. I'm gonna go all in with Jesus. In a book that he wrote several years ago, such a powerful tool, and I would even recommend it. John Mark Comer, he wrote this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He says this. He says, ultimately, nothing in this life apart from God can satisfy our desires. Tragically, we continue to chase after our desires endlessly. The result? A chronic state of restlessness or worse, Angst, anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, all of which lead to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, overload, shopping, materialism, careerism. Don't elbow anybody right now. A life of more, which in turn makes us even more restless. And the cycle spirals out of control. Have you been there? Or you just sought after thing after thing to try to fill the emptiness that you knew only God could fill. Hey, why don't we stop running after the things the world would define as success, the world would define as pleasure. Let's seek first the kingdom of God. Let's seek his righteousness. God, I want you, I want everything you have. I wrote this down, a few questions to even filter, are the passions in my life healthy? One, does it bring God glory? Two, does it line up with God's word? And three, is it God's best for my life? Is what I'm pursuing, is it bringing God glory? Does it bring peace to my family? The thing I'm chasing, is it giving me unrest in my spirit? If so, it's probably not the best God has for me. God, help me to line my life up with your truth and what you want. Hebrews 12 says this, so then let us rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way and of the sin which holds onto us so tightly and let us run with determination the race that lies before us. Cleaning house. It's what Jesus wants to do in our life. And I'm convicted, honestly, because my wife has been out of town for about four days, everybody. And my house looks a lot different when she's away than when she's at home. I tell you, God, Wes needs to do some cleaning house right now. And, and I don't know about you, he doesn't want to just do some, some organization of the things that are out of place. He wants to reorder my heart. He wants to reshape the things spiritually that have got off track in my life. I think there's two things that we need to do. Number one, we need to invite Jesus into our mess. We need to invite Jesus into our mess. 
I don't know how you are when people come over to your house, but there's some people that you're really close to that have seen you at your worst, that when they come over, you open the door, you show them the couch, you invite them to grab whatever they want in the refrigerator, but there's people that come over maybe unexpectedly that knock or that you know that are coming and you yell to your spouse, could you go talk to them outside? Could you go greet them in, in the driveway? Oh, come on, y'all look at me like you haven't done that before. There, there's people, you know, because it's not that you don't love them and you don't want to feel welcome. You just don't want them to see that side of you. You don't want them to see the disorder and chaos in your life. Let me tell you, Jesus wants to meet us in the middle of our mess. I love what Revelation says in chapter 3. It says, look, I've been standing at the door and I am constantly knocking. If anyone hears me calling and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. You know what I love about Jesus is that over and over when you look at the Gospels, you see Jesus. He didn't wait for people to get their lives cleaned up. He just met them right where they were. The woman at the well whose life was all mixed up. The woman who was caught in adultery as Jesus. He, he knelt down with her and looked at those pharisaical leaders and said, hey, you without sin, why don't you cast the first stone? I also think about Jesus when he's walking down the road and he looks up in the tree and he sees Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, why don't, why don't you come down because I want to go hang out at your house. Can, can you imagine what Zacchaeus must have felt in that moment? Oh, no. No. I, I, I don't want him to find out about the money I was stealing from people, about the people that I did wrong, about the people I lied to, about their taxes, about the way I manipulated and worked out. There's no way. But Jesus, he knew all about Zacchaeus, and he loved him right where he's at. You know, I think oftentimes in our own life, it's our sin and what we know about us that keep us from inviting Jesus into our mess. And he wants to meet us right where we're at. Invite Jesus into the mess of your life. And then number two, allow Jesus to cleanse our life. Allow Jesus to cleanse our life. I'll close with this story and we'll share a quick scripture. And then we'll just spend some time in prayer this morning. I had a, a, a text message I received this week. Somebody reached out to me unannounced, unsolicited. They said, hey, Wes, I'd like to come over and pressure wash your house this week. What's a good day for me to do that? Well, thank you, Lord. Come pressure wash my house. I mean, awesome. And I was so thankful. They came over, did an amazing job. But I want to be honest with you, be real with you, is that I had to process for about one minute before I responded. It didn't take long, but it was a flood and a weird flood of different emotions. When I first received the text, honestly, I'll tell you, I got a little defensive. I thought, ain't nothing wrong with my house, and I can take care of this myself. I, who are you that you need to come help me take care of my stuff? And then my defensiveness moved into embarrassment. Like, oh, dear Lord, you saw how bad my house was, and you thought the pastor really needed help. I, I, and it just made me feel like 
kind of like, you know, I just sat in my own pity for a second. Like, come on, Wes, you know, what are you doing? You're not taking care of your house. And then it all just kind of just molded right into gratitude. Like, no, you're going to let this guy do it. He wanted to help you. He wanted to bless you. Let, let him do it. And so I did. I sent back a message. Hey, thank you so much. And I'm so thankful. But as I started thinking about that, I started thinking about the way that Jesus wants to come over and, and cleanse our house. And I think Jesus is, is, is standing outside of every one of our houses today with a text message invitation. Hey, I'm ready to make things better for you. I wanna cleanse you. I wanna heal your marriage. I wanna restore your relationship with your brother or your sister and your kids. I know about the things that you're looking at on your phone that you shouldn't be looking at, but I even wanna heal and deliver you from that too. Oftentimes we know the truth of his love and his goodness in our life. But instead of receiving it, we get defensive. We get embarrassed and we turn away the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. And I wonder today how many of us, instead of receiving his love, have over and over put an arm out to the grace and mercy of Jesus because you know all about your stuff and you haven't allowed him to come in and cleanse your house. To pressure wash the outside, but to come in and change the inside as well. Here's the truth, everybody. God knows everything that you've done. He knows where you've been. He knows what you're gonna go through and he loves you anyway. And here's the truth about Jesus is that He'll do a voluntary work on you. But if we don't let him come in, he'll show up to the temple and he'll clean house either way. I would rather make the decision that God, you are welcome in my house than, than him have to force his way in the door. You know what I'm saying? Church, I wonder today what you've been walking through or holding on to or bitterness or discouragement or frustration. You need to allow God to heal to restore, to make brand new. John says this in chapter one, he says, if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus wants to clean house, church. And I wonder today, if he came home with us this afternoon, how would life look different for you? Oh my goodness. It would change the way we live. It would change the things that we look at on our screen. It would change the way that we talk and the attitudes we have. The invitation today, right here in the middle, beginning of March, as we step into this spring season, why don't we allow God to do a cleaning work in our hearts? To heal, to restore, to make brand new. And I believe when we do it, he's gonna, he's gonna change us from the inside out. I just wanna invite you, would you just bow your heads right there? If you would just honor this moment 
Just with every head bowed and eye closed, maybe this is an opportunity for you just to be real with Jesus. Say, God, there's some things that I've been pursuing, some things I've been holding on to, chasing, that have led me far from you. Maybe today there's areas of secret sin or struggles that they've had you bound. Today you just need to release them in his presence right now and say, God, I give this to you. I'm going to be accountable. I want you to clean me, to heal me, to restore me. Maybe you're here today and you say, Wes, I need to give my life to Jesus. I want him to come in and save me and change me to make me brand new. With every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you, and you say, that's me, today is a day of salvation. Hey, we plan this whole day for this moment for you to surrender your life to Christ. That's you all across this room. Why don't you just lift your hand to heaven right now and say, that's me, Jesus, save me, save me. Thank you, God, God bless you, God bless you. Anybody else right here in this moment? say a simple prayer like this. Jesus, come in my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Be the Lord of my life. Today I choose to serve you, to follow you, to live for you all my days. Father, I pray as we even go from this place that God, we would be mindful that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you live and dwell in us you want to work in us. And that, God, we wouldn't just shout Hosanna and shout worship on Sunday, but, God, when we get to Monday, that we will be full of faith. That we get to Monday, we make a decision, Jesus, I've decided to follow you with everything that I am. God, that when we get to Monday, it wouldn't be business as usual tomorrow, but God, we would recognize that there is a desperate world that needs Jesus, and we are the light of the world. That God, when we get to Monday, we would be so focused on what we have and what we don't have that we would lose sight that you hold it all in your hands. God, that when we get to Monday, we wouldn't live in fear anymore because God, that you are perfect love and perfect love cast out all fear. God, we'll shout Hosanna on Sunday, but on Monday we declare, God, that you're going to be the Lord of our life, that you're in control of our kids, that, God, you're in control of our marriage. Jesus, we surrender everything we we are to you every day of the week. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your word. And I pray, God, let it change and challenge us. Let us make it more like you this week, Father. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 Amen.